either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You're sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Labor Day weekend. How did that happen? Holy moly, it's here. But we've got some good movies to talk about. Yeah. Both in theaters and streaming, documentaries, all kinds of types of, of movies. And uh, we'll start with a biggie. Shang-Chi, the master of unarmed weaponry-based kung fu, is forced to confront his past after being drawn into the Ten Rings organization. Latest from Marvel, it's Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Throughout my life, the Ten Rings gave our family power. If you want them to be yours one day, you have to show me you are strong enough to carry them. I thought I could change my name. Start a new life. But I could never escape his shadow. My son, you can't run from your past. Is this what you wanted? Now, we'll be honest, we were not familiar with this story, this character, or anything about this. But that doesn't mean that we didn't enjoy the movie because uh, we found it to be a big dose of big screen fun. You just start right at the top. Even if nothing else about the movie worked, just the way it looks, oh, yeah, it looks is great. fantastic. It looks great. And the action sequences are so much fun and so, so well executed. Good. And you know, it's a funny thing is that the trailer sucked. It did. I had such low expectations for this movie because the trailer was just like, meh. It you really know? was. It did Which nothing. is surprising. Yeah. It really is surprising, especially when we see the final product here. And it is part of the Marvel, the MCU, yeah. the uh, Marvel Universe, and it's the first, their first Asian superhero. So yes, long overdue. Uh, that's a whole nother topic, but it's here now, and it's and it's worth it because it brings. Not only does it bring the Marvel universe into it, you know, you know what universe we're swimming in, and and they do it in fun ways. You might see a sign in the background mm -hmm. on a bus mm -hmm. that says, "Do you have post blip anxiety? Call us." And then, of course, you have the cameos. Uh, and there's one that I think surprised both of us that turns in to be maybe a little more than a cameo. And actually is so fitting yeah. that I can't believe it didn't occur to me. <laughs> yeah, so you've got that. You know it's a Marvel movie. But at, at the same time, it succeeds best because it does such a good job, I think, of world building yeah. and, and going its yeah. own way here. It doesn't seem, and as much as we liked Black Widow, Black Widow was very tied to everything that came before. Yeah. Very much so. This is not so much because it's brand new. We're meeting these characters for the first time. And, yeah, the director and the co-writer is Destin Daniel Cretton, who has been, this is sort of the way it's been going with these movies lately, indie, indie success, and then jump to the big time. And uh, he did Short Term 12 yeah. years ago, which was great. Hasn't really gotten those heights since then. Done some solid stuff. But now, I'll tell you what, you, like you mentioned in the, in the uh, written review, we knew he could handle the family dynamics, but mm -hmm. boy, the, the badassery here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we're fans of his filmmaking, generally speaking, but certainly none of them had the slightest action component. The action sequences here are so well visualized. They're so energetic and fun. They suit the content really well. And then out of nowhere, dragons. <laughs> yeah, and you've got the magical and the myst mystical because... 
when we first meet the main character, uh, is he's Sean, and he's played by Simu Liu, who I guess mainly has done TV. A lot of TV. Up until then. And his best friend, Katie, played by Aquafina, who is a hoot. a hoot again. And she doesn't know about his past that he's been running from. As a boy, he suffered the loss of his mother, and that took sort of the, all of the, the mercy and the kindness away from his father, who has, his father has godlike powers and is immortal thanks to these ten rings. He wears five on each arm. Well, young Sean, Shang-Chi, fled and sort of ran away from his destiny and started this new life as Sean in San Francisco. But now, after the thugs come uh, looking for him on the bus, and that's the first big fight we get. And it's such a good and one. it's great. It is. It's it is so great. great. Then Katie finds out all about his, uh, his previous life, and he's got to face his destiny. So there you've got the, the dead mother mm-hmm. and the destiny of facing your father. That's... So Disney, (laughs) so many, many other films, the family dynamic there, but they do handle it pretty well. It's got some emotional pull as far as a story of grief and dealing with grief and, and as we said before, the family dynamics. So, yes, it's it's not new, but it does have some emotional pull. But the main thing here, the main draw is not only the action we've talked about, it's also very funny. It is funny. Yeah, and, you know, anytime Aquafina is in something, I think you have to assume it's going to be pretty <laughs> yeah. funny. But it's not just her, actually. Yeah. Um, Shang-Chi's father, the godlike figure, the conqueror, is played by longtime uh, Chinese superstar Tony Leung. From In the Mood for Love and oh, just, yeah. yeah, Ip Man. I mean, just any number of, of iconic characters. The whole cast, I think, carries a lot of that. And a lot of the action sequences, especially early on, are geared toward comedy, toward, but by midway and then to the end, they're not. They're they're your traditional action type vehicle to move the story forward. Mm-hmm. But but uh, there's a lot that's going on in this movie that is really quite funny. And you will never listen to Hotel California the same way again. Trust us. The one thing we did mention, we talk about it having these familiar uh, building blocks as far as the family goes. Now, it does have a chance. It has some strong female characters, but there is a point where without giving away too much, you leaned over to me while we were watching it and said, if it does this, 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 and this, it's going to get an extra star. And it didn't. It, it didn't. It didn't. Uh, so it had the chance to maybe to make... To be an actually feminist movie, and it is not. Right. It is not. Maybe it wasn't meant to be one. No, uh, it would better know. if it were. And it is very nice to see the commitment to the cultural authenticity of the cast, especially in the face of the types of very unfortunate and unfounded, hateful incidents that have been that have been lobbied toward the Asian community over the last several months. Yeah, I mean, it's just nice to see that that Marvel didn't feel like they had to wedge in a white character to ensure a white audience. I mean, that's just always so, just just offensive in every conceivable way. And it's nice that they just let the story tell itself properly. But as far as the feminist angle, you say that because the story presents that opportunity. Yes, it does. It does. Yes, it does. Um, But it does have some strong female characters. There's also uh, Shang-Chi has a sister Mm -hmm. who brings it who is uh pulled into the story well then michelle yo michelle yo how welcome a presence is that really she is in almost any movie but in a in a martial arts heavy film yes please. yeah and she plays a shang chi's aunt Aunt. 
And and is it aunt or aunt? Well, <laughs> I'm from the Midwest, so I say aunt. But kind uh, of a mentor, mm-hmm. and she's part of this the magical land where they go back to the the homeland of where he came from. And there's a there's a magical land involved that has this very specific magical entrance that has to be navigated just so, which is pretty cool. It is. You have to go through this forest that moves. Yeah. And hit it just right. It just so looks awesome. It does. And then you're talking about well, you already mentioned it, the dragons mm-hmm. that come into it. So yeah, there are some monsters. Oh there's yeah. Some dragons. Dragons. Yeah, it throws a lot at you, and it's only it's about two hours and fifteen minutes. But I think but it moves because, pretty of course, well. Being Marvel, you do have to sit all the way through the credits, so you that's do. why it's as long as it is, just because you can't leave when the credits start. Right, you've got the mid-credit scene that brings in more Marvel cameos mm-hmm. of other uh, characters that you know, and then the final scene gives us a big idea about where it's going to go next time. Yeah. And I think this movie, this first installment, shows a lot of promise for future installments. I think I it really does. Oh, yeah, I totally I mean, agree. After the the wrap-up of the original Avengers storyline, they got to move on. And this is the really the first step of bringing in a new superhero. Mm-hmm. And right now it's a worthy one, really. And see it, this is a release, this is the start of these, that's going to be the norm now, I guess, for a while. 45 days in theaters only. Uh, before it hits, hits Disney Plus. Hits Disney Plus. Hits, and even then, it might be Disney Plus premiere, which means you'll still have to pay for it. I don't yeah. know if they're going to charge you the full whatever twenty nine bucks. That seems yeah, kind of ridiculous. We'll see. But but the the point is, if you feel comfortable and can get to a big screen, this is one for a big screen. It really is. It looks fantastic, and it's a lot of fun. Just just pure end of summer entertainment. We enjoyed it. Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Next up is a modern movie musical with a bold take on the classic fairy tale. Our ambitious heroine has big dreams, and with the help of her fab godmother, she preserves, she perseveres to make them come true. Cinderella. I pick you to be my princess. What about my work? I don't want a life stuck waving from a royal box any more than a life confined to a basement. I have dreams. I have to chase. Marry him and all of our problems will be solved. It's too late. Life outside this basement starts right now. They're glass? Any way you can make them more comfortable? No. But you just did a whole thing. Even magic has its limits. This one is streaming on Prime. It's an Amazon Prime original. And it's free if you have yeah, Prime. So I was you surprised know, by that too, when we too. fired it up. Yeah, and it's from Kay Cannon. She writes and directs. She was a force. She was a writer and producer of, I think, all the Pitch Perfect movies. And then she directed uh, Blockers, mm-hmm. or as you like to call it, Cock Blockers. I do always call it that. <laughs> Which we enjoyed. <laughs> Um, and it sort of brings a pitch-perfect type of approach to the Cinderella story. It is a musical, but they utilize a lot of well-known pop songs. I think they do some original music, too. Yeah, the, there's a town crier, and yeah. I think what he his announcements are very story-specific. So I think that those those And they're numbers, very Hamilton, yes, is what they are. Yes, they are. <laughs> but there's a lot of familiar pop songs, everything from Material Girl. There's some Earth, Wind & Fire in there. There's some Ed Sheeran, so you're going to recognize some, but... They tell the story with a, a, a modern sensibility. And the star, Cinderella, is played by pop star Camila Cabello. And she is pretty good. I mean, take a, a pop star into this starring role, I think she does herself fine. She's very spunky. She yep. is spunky. She is spunky. And she's got some decent comic timing. And uh, the cast, her prince's parents, the king and queen, are played by Pierce Brosnan and Minnie Driver. Pierce and Brosnan, fun. who has entered into his handsome dad who... 
comes around phase of every, his career. Every phase of his is a handsome it's phase. True, that's I mean, true. He's hard, it's hard to he get around. He had no homely phases. <laughs> he didn't. And then you've got as the fab godmother, Billy Porter. And James Corden is one of the, the, the mice that turns into uh, one of the uh, footmen for the carriage. And, of course, Adina Menzel. Adina Menzel. One of your favorites. Yeah, and who else are you going to get to play? The wicked <laughs> stepmother, but the wickedly talented <laughs> Adele Dazeem, otherwise known as Adina Menzel. <laughs> so, it, you know, it's light, but it's not geared toward me. It's not geared toward you. It's no. geared toward the younger female audience, and it's a, a decent change to the story about empowerment and following your own path. Yeah, it's it's a very girl power film, and um, and there are a lot of things I like about it. It's not a traditional musical in that it's not new songs that I don't already know. As you know, I cannot stand a musical. So <laughs> for, in that, I'm like, ooh, it's Rhythm Nation. Nice. So that was fine, too. But mainly, one of the things I like the most about it is it's very forgiving. The prince, the prince has an actual character. He has his own conflicts and struggles. The stepsisters and stepsisters mother there's a context for their behavior mm -hmm. i appreciated that i liked that it was not so one-dimensional and harsh yeah and this is maybe i don't know potentially a hot take cinderella has always been to a certain degree a feminist story i think for a lot of people that is a hot take yeah i think you're right um and you know i'm not sure everybody realizes just how old it is it comes from like the 1200s the french version variant it is called is really vindictive, mm -hmm. where, the, where the stepsisters cut off their toes to try to fit into the glass slipper, and the stepmother's eyes are plucked out by a crow at yeah, the end. That's not in this version. No, it is not. <laughs> um, but I, uh, that's one of the reasons that I really like the forgiving sort of angle, but, but with every sort of passing generation or eon, I think the sort of feminism of the story moves uh, mm -hmm. as, as history moves, right? So back when they were first telling it, it, just to tell the plight of how difficult it is to be a female, because if you don't marry well, you die. That's really all they were doing with the first few. And so now they're beyond that. We're past that. You obviously don't have to marry well. What this Cinderella, Ella is her name, is looking to do is, is just make her own choices and, and have a career and do what she wants yeah, to do. Basically, she wants to start her own business is yeah, what she wants. What she really wants to do is decide for herself. Right. To choose. Mm -hmm. And what she, she kind of inspires everybody else is to go, yes, maybe I can also choose. And yeah. that's, you know what? It's a nice message. It's yeah. a good message. It is. And you can probably figure out where it's going. I know you did uh, pretty early <laughs> on. But, uh, yeah, it's it's totally fine and enjoyable, especially if you have younger uh, daughters, younger yeah. females in the house. Yeah. It's, and, again, especially because if it's free on Prime. If yeah. you have Amazon Prime, so fire it up. The latest Cinderella. Got a documentary next, the mystery surrounding the Salvatore Mundi, the first painting by Leonardo da Vinci to be discovered for more than a century, which has now seemingly gone missing. It's called The Lost Leonardo. No one could have painted this except Leonardo. The joke was that that was a contemporary painting because 90% of it was painted during the restoration. Something's fishy here. But that's ridiculous. It's not about art and love. It's about money. It's about transferring funds. Whenever there's a lot of money involved, the world becomes a bunch of worms intertwined. You can stick it in the desert and lure tourists. It's not just art history. It's world politics. Everybody was complicit in dreaming up lost Leonardo da Vinci. Nobody really cares what the truth is. 240 million. 300 million. 400 million. Sold. This is like the most expensive painting ever sold in the history of the art world. Where the hell is that painting? Nobody knows where it is. Uh, this is from documentarian Andreas Kofid. And what I think I like the best about this, because I don't have the art history background that you do, is it he crafts it as really a, a true crime sort of thriller. It's so exciting. It, he sets a great hook. Really, I think whether you're 
knowledgeable about our history or not, you've probably heard of Leonardo da Vinci <laughs> and the monumental discovery if this actually turns out to be a da Vinci because the painting in question was first bought at a New Orleans auction for just over $1,000 in 2005, and 12 years later, it set a record for selling for $400 million. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it sets up, it, it's he rolls it out, the director, um, yeah, Andreas Kofid, you mentioned, rolls it out like a... Like a Hollywood thriller. There, you got the mystery angle, and then you've got the who's double-crossing who, and then, oh, it starts as a love of art, and then it's all about money, and then it's all about power, because Russian oligarchs and Saudi princes get involved, and then, yeah, where is the painting anyway? Does anyone know? It's crazy. And uh, the way it, it is structured to tell the story, it sets the hook, sets a really an irresistible hook early on, and then just tells it in a very, very compelling way, because you've got people all over the art world who are convinced that it is a da Vinci, others that say, no way, you're crazy, and a third group that says, well, even if it is, by now, after so much extensive restoration, because it was so damaged, what is left of da Vinci's is so small, it might as well not be a da Vinci. So you've got all these opinions, and somebody very astutely comments that when you're dealing with this much money and this much power, um, opinions offer a lot more value than facts. Uh, at some point along in the story. And it's just fascinating where it goes. And I was hooked on on all of it. Yeah, I have a lot of love for art history. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think even if you don't, this has as much pull as any of the Tom Hanks Da Vinci movies. And, <laughs> and, and it's real. And the way that the, he tells uh, the story here. And by the way, Salvatore Mundi is Latin for Savior of the World because the painting is a, a painting of Christ that's in question, but $400 million wow. from... Uh, it, it's, it's so interesting that it the, the reason the painting was originally purchased is because the guy who bought it is a quote-unquote sleeper hunter, and that's exactly what he does. He searches for undervalued paintings, and I think he scored one here. <laughs> uh, so this is uh, The Last Leonardo, very, very compelling in theaters now. For this next one might be the best bet of the week. Two men learn to confront a traumatic secret they share involving the savage murder of a schoolmate. This is called Wild Indian. I spoke with an investigator. They are looking into the disappearance of a missing boy from 35 years ago. You're gonna be alright. You're gonna be alright. The victim's mother insists that you help Tato with this. Seems like you know who I am. Tedo, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? What did he want from you? You're gonna be like the poster boy. Lock up! It's not my fault that we are the descendants of cowards. Shut up! We got a chance this year to virtually go to Sundance Film Festival and saw some great, great, great movies. And this was my favorite at Sundance. That's how good this movie is. And you talk about, we talked about the the poor, the disappointing trailer that Shang-Chi had. This one has a great trailer. Oh, my God, it This does. one, I watched it again for doing, you know, the research for this podcast, and it hooked me again. Oh, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's so incredibly um, well-made and unpredictable. And Michael Gray Eyes, who, you, you know him if you saw him, he's, he's just a great character actor. He's yeah. been around forever. This is really... 
an exceptional lead turn. He plays Mockway, who as an adult goes by Michael Peters. And it is the most amazing character study. Writer-director Lyle Mitchell Corbine Jr. does, with Michael Gray Eyes, the most amazing job at just sort of kicking every stereotype to the side. Because, you know, when you have a Native American character and a storyline, you're expecting, uh, you know, this noble hero or you are expecting a victim. And this guy is all of those things and more. It is the most spectacular performance and the most interestingly written character I think that I've seen on screen this year. Um, and he's matched by Ted O, his best friend from childhood. They both, you know, they, we check back in with them as adults to see how they're dealing with this trauma from their youth. Chask Spencer, who's also kicked around for years and years and years, his performance is, it's so authentic, but it's so tender. Every place where where Grey Eye's performance is got a wall around him. He's a survivor and he's taking advantage of the situation. Spencer's performance is a survivor by not taking advantage and being completely honest. And, and, and it's just the most beautiful, unnerving, and exceptional movie. You know what reminded me of maybe some of the best work of Taylor Sheridan? Yeah, uh, yes. Yeah, that sort of feel. Mm-hmm. And you'll also recognize Kate Bosworth, who is in the cast as well. Yeah. But this one is exceptional and one to seek out. It's on Prime and a pretty good bargain. Six ninety nine dollars yep. for this one. Well worth it, called Wild Indian. Next is a story of Melissa and her family seeking shelter from a storm and becoming trapped with no sign of rescue. Melissa comes to realize that she and her girlfriend Amy might have something to do with the horrors that threaten her family. This is We Need to Do Something. Doesn't make any sense. What doesn't make any sense? We have neighbors. Someone would have come. They're all dead. Why would you say that? What if it wasn't just a storm? Not a tornado. Something else. I was scared. Scared of what? Of you. We did something bad. You know, you just start with that title. Reminds me of the pandemic. Where you just are like, I just anything. I just need to do something. And I think that that is a pervasive theme throughout this because this teenage girl, because of a storm of some sort, finds herself trapped in the family bathroom with her mom, (laughs) her dad, and her little brother. And then during the course of this, quote, storm, there's a reason that they can't open the door so they are pinned. And of course, they chose the bathroom because it's tornado-proof, right? So they can't get out. And so the movie, on its structure, that's what it does. It traps you in the toilet with your mom and dad, (laughs) which is the nightmare of all nightmares. And they're not really sure what's going out outside the door, but it seems like it's killing people. So the structure is great. You know, I don't I don't think and the thing about the movie is there's not really a catalyst exactly. There's not really a resolution. It is mainly just the pandemic. It's mm-hmm. mainly just being trapped inside with people that you love for a while, but there's a limit. Well, that's a very understandable theme right yes, now. It is. Not you know, not only in the adjustments filmmakers have had to make in just getting a film made, but of course, the thing we've talked about this before, the 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 times we're living through are going to affect what writers write and yeah. what creative people create, and that that's totally understandable. We're going to see more. In fact, I think we've got another one coming up here in a little bit. We're going to talk about, but 
This uh, one has, you know, good performances. Sierra McCormick from Vast of Night, which we oh, love so much. Oh, yeah. Pat Healy, Always Welcome Madman. Uh, Vanessa Shaw, it's got it's got a good cast. I mean, because you're going to be trapped with these people for a long time. Mm-hmm. You need that. They do an excellent job with what they have. And, it, and it's very entertaining. Yeah, another uh, bargain on Prime, five ninety nine. We need to do something. We liked it. Let's go to Shudder next. When their follower count is dwindling, travel vloggers Teddy and Claire pivot to creating viral content around their most recent superhost, Rebecca, who wants more from the duo than a great review. This is Superhost. Okay, I roll camera. Hi, my name is Rebecca. This is what people want to see. And I am a superhost. Complete lunatics. Rebecca, she said that she was the host of this place. <laughs> we have one final surprise for you that I think you're going to love. If anyone's out there watching, please, please help us. Please stop! Think of all the hits you'll get. <laughs> Look at her. She's harmless. This is the latest from writer-director Brandon Christensen, and it's another one. It's not so much pandemic in its subject matter, but you can see where it could be a pandemic production. Very few cast members right, right. out in the open, mm-hmm. the woods, not mm-hmm. a lot of open spaces. So uh, it's sort of light. It takes a while to get to the bloodletting. It's it's more... <laughs> It's, it has a lot of satirical elements about social media with these vloggers. They're, they go overboard with their schemes to correct their dwindling listenership or viewership and their likes and all that. So that's overdone a little bit. But as, as weird things start happening around their, their latest house that they're staying in and with this host, Rebecca, um, it starts to pick up and... Barbara Crampton. Does it, am I wrong? I think everybody has a crush on Barbara Crampton. I think so. I think we yeah. all do. Everyone. Yeah. And she's great. And if not, why not? I know. And she shows up for a a small but important role as things start uh, getting interesting and getting a lot more bloody toward the final 25 minutes or so of this. But it, it's sort of light. It's not really saying anything new about social media. It's still very valid points, and it, it's got some fun to it. Funny in a satirical way, and uh, again, a little bloody toward the end. So, yeah, didn't love it. Not one of my favorite Shutter originals from the past, but they've been doing well lately, as, as we've said a lot. And this one is certainly worth checking out if you have Shutter. And uh, it's the new one this week called Superhost. Got a drama next. A social worker assigned to the care of the daughter of a single mother intervenes when the dad returns from prison and lures them into a life of crime. This is the gateway. I'm your social worker, and you got a daughter who needs to get to school on time. Stop prying into my family. I'm trying to keep Ashley from being taken away from you. I didn't know you were getting out today. Dahlia! You're the man who's been looking after my family, huh? I'm back. I'd love nothing more than have to come by here anymore. What you think you are... This happened here because of you. You got the cartel after all of us. I've seen so many families. The clip that they're about to fall off of. And there's nothing I can do to stop it. You actually can help people. If this was your family, what would you do? Star-studded and sucktastic. <laughs> the great, yeah, you've got Shay Wiggum. Love him. Uh, Olivia Munn and Frank Grillo at the top. And the cool thing is, Shay Wiggum has the lead here, right. which is probably the best reason to see this movie. He's such a, a solid 
support player for so many years. It's great to see him get a lead role. It's just a shame that this is the lead role because <laughs> there's not really much for him to work with. There's really not much for anybody to work with. You've you've seen this type of story so many times. It's very heavy-handed. It's very cliched. It involves somebody coming in for one last job before they really get off the streets and take a cushier, still still be a crime job, but you know a little bit of a cushier, uh, safer type of uh, assignment. Uh, from Frank Grillo, the big crime boss. And it, it's also, I, I suppose, a new wrinkle that Shea Wiggum is a social worker who, t- who, turns, into, who turns into the ass-kicking Avenger. Haven't really seen that. No. It's, it's more like a super cop than a social worker, but okay. And then his estranged father is played by Bruce Dern. He's wasted as well. Then you have people like, well, Taron Manning, but even more so, Keith David comes in for a one-scene cameo that's just distracting. What is he there for? What's going on? Uh, so there's just not really a lot at, at work here, especially nothing new. And in the end, I mean, the moral, at, it, because it starts with a Charles Dickens quote and ends with a statistic about foster care. So the, the moral and the concern is about kids and the system failing kids. Fine. OK. But then at the end, we got um, messages about the military industrial complex and about uh, uh, government sponsored drug trafficking. And it's sort of all over the place right. with with characters that don't seem they seem more like cliches than characters, and that's unfortunate because it is good to see Shea Wiggum in a lead role. But uh, not very satisfying here, but it is on Prime, five ninety nine Prime, a rental. The Gateway. Let's do the sci-fi thing. Set in the near future, private detective David Carmichael is hired by Marlon Veidt, an eccentric businessman, to track down his missing daughter. David teams up with Jane, a highly advanced AI, to solve the mystery in Zone 414. They can feel pain. Said don't move. You have a murderer in the zone. Stay right there. What's more human than fear? Hey, do you like Blade Runner? <laughs> or the other Blade Runner? <laughs> Or Ex Machina? Uh, I do. Because I do. Director Andrew Baird does. <laughs> uh, this is this is Guy Pierce, and Guy Pierce is almost he's like at the Bruce Willis, Nicolas Cage level of making movies, he, which is to say he just does not he's, say no. He's searching for his pig. He is searching for this is not it. This is not it. This is Keep not searching. his pig. Keep searching. This is a bad, you know, sci-fi, noir, sexual thriller. A synthetic sex toy robot has to maybe develop their own conscience and at the same time help a hard-boiled P.I. solve a mystery. Yeah, and the uh, A.I. sex bot, fembot, are they fembots? <laughs> Uh, she's played by Matilda Anna Ingrid Lutz, a long name, but she is, and I would never have recognized her in a million years, but she is the woman from Revenge. She is. And you know what's a funny thing? You wouldn't recognize her in this because she keeps her clothes on. And, and she's not he, covered in blood. And yet, Revenge is the, the one where she's mostly not wearing clothes, right. is the feminist movie. This one is not. But that's okay, because it's not trying to be, as you said, it's a very very masculine fantasy and the best thing that it has going for it, it's got some decent world building I suppose I mean it's sort of run down yet exotic future world where debauchery goes it doesn't look bad for a, clearly a fairly minimal budget 
where it does the best is with its supporting cast. It is you you don't know their names, but they are two oh one, some of the most talented character actors knocking around, some of my favorite people. And uh, and they do a great job, every single one. Guy Pierce, he does kind of sleepwalk through a lot of it. Yeah. Matilda Lutz, she just doesn't cut it in this role because the character is so badly written. But more than anything, Travis Fimmel plays the sort of demigod who creates all of these bots. Marlin, yeah. Marlin. And he's just laughably terrible. And I feel badly saying that. I really do. Honestly, I do. Right down to the fat suit and makeup, it just feels comedic, although it's clearly not supposed to be. And he has all of the sort of most bombastic lines to deliver, and he just feels sort of community theater, especially when he's bouncing these lines off of somebody who has talent, like the veteran Guy Pierce. So Mm -hmm. anyway, no, it's not good. And that is on VOD this weekend. It's no pig. Keep searching. Zone 414. Got a documentary next. Historians, journalists, and politicians reveal that contrary to popular belief, Socialism is, in fact, deeply American. This is called the big scary S-word. Socialism is as American as apple pie. The problem with the word socialism is that it's been equated with totalitarianism. The red scare, anybody who uses the big scary S-word is automatically Stalin. It doesn't work anymore. Democratic socialism is the value that in a modern, moral, and wealthy society, no person in America should be too poor to live possible to design a society and economy based on people's most pressing needs. More voice from the workers (laughs) actually benefits the company. Yes. (laughs) Socialism is really, at heart, the ultimate expression of democracy. If that's not American, I don't know what is. Well, you want a hot take. That's one. Socialism is, in fact, deeply American. That is a hot take that's going to cause a lot of fights. But as Matt Wiener points out, and Matt Wiener wrote the review of this, very good review on MadWolf.com, they make a very reasoned, non-hot take type of argument for this. Yeah, they really do. I mean, it's a it's a brilliant film, and it reminds you that, you know, even if you are a liberal, the liberalism that you are being fed by networks that make money from corporations is still really very conciliatory toward big money. And Mm -hmm. and then, you know, this just sort of boils it down to the actual facts. And it's really fascinating. And it's it's kind of an amazing look at how many of our most iconic and, and beloved Americans throughout the entire history of the United States are socialists and with good reason. Well, and it's another example of how, sadly, over the last couple of decades, more than that, it's just become inescapable that there so often there are just aren't facts anymore. There's only information to be spun. Yeah, it's just straw man mm-hmm. and boogeyman mm-hmm. and just quick hot sound bites or graphics, memes yeah. and break everything down to that. Something simple instead of really taking apart an issue and looking at it and strategically looking at it. Uh, historically, and and this does a really good job of that. And it's a case where a lot of people that see this movie, yes, it's probably going to be preaching to the choir Mm -hmm. because the people on the other side are just going to dismiss it as uh, propaganda trash. And that's unfortunate uh, because it deserves to be seen and deserves to be discussed. But honestly, I think if you see yourself as a liberal or a progressive, you should watch this movie. Yes, very much so. Yeah, the big scary S word, and it is out in theaters this week. And again, check out Matt Wiener's review at madwolf.com. Boy, here's another documentary. It intimately follows the lives of women who fight in an extreme and full-contact sport, medieval armored 
Combat. This is Steel Song. I keep fighting because of what I can continually prove to myself about myself. And I need things like that in my life to, to, to make me continue striving for something. How do I explain this to people? MMA meets 15th century armor and beating the living snot out of your friend with steel weapons. And he's like, what the hell is this? Kat McAlpine wrote this review for us. And if you knew Kat McAlpine, you would understand why she was the one who got this movie to review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you talk about documentaries opening up new worlds to you. Here's one. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't know, r- women or not, armored medieval combat is is one. And then the fact that it's women doing it. Right. Yes, I want to know about that. Yeah, and it's not just like reenactments where you drink meat. I mean, it's full contact oh, yeah. sport. And, yeah, it, yeah. you know, this movie will sell you on it completely. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's also not that interested in the competition as much as the act of it and sort of right. the community, right. the communal nature of it. It's a fascinating. And like you said, anytime a documentary can open your eyes to something you had no idea existed, it gets an extra star. Yeah, and it's only an hour and 15 minutes. So it's a quick one and it's a real bargain rent on uh, on Amazon Prime. And yeah, to check out Kat's review, she loved it. <laughs> and uh, you can check out her review at madwolf.com, but it's called Steel Song. Let's do a comedy. When the coolest guy in school discovers that the new girl sees through his popularity and good looks, he enlists the class nerd to take over his social media accounts to add substance to his style. This is called It Takes Three. Chris Newton asked you to pretend to be him online, and you're just not concerned. I mean, it's gonna end with you on stage covered in pig's blood. You just happen to have a fake cast? Bro, chicks love it. You're certifiable, man. Thanks, dude. Me too. Clearly, your little catfishing love triangle is your one and only priority. You're a phony outside, just like everyone else. It is way more beautiful to watch a rhinoceros be a rhinoceros than try to be an elephant. Rachel Willis reviewed this one for us, and it is the old Cyrano de Bergerac story mm-hmm. set in modern-day high school. Uh, and I was mostly interested in it because Jared... Gilman. Gilman. He the, plays Psy. He plays Psy. He's the kid from Moonrise Kingdom. Yes. So I love him. <laughs> I love him. And so I was very excited to see him lead a film. And uh, and it's really, it's. I mean, it's a lovely, fun update. It's it's insightful to a degree about social media. and But other than that, it just feels like your traditional high school romance kind of a movie. It's got some interesting points to make, and, and it's very likable. And we talk about a lot about movies, including one this week, that take on social media. Well, the story, the Cyrano de Bergerac premise is perfect is. for social media because of people pretending to be people that they're not. Exactly. And this is an enjoyable one. You can check out the full review from Rachel Willis at madwolf.com. It's called It Takes Three from director Scott Coffey on VOD this weekend. Well, in the last few weeks, you may remember us talking about the Ted Bundy movies that just won't stop. Here's the latest. The intrepid FBI agents Kathleen McChesney and Robert Ressler organized one of the largest manhunts in history to apprehend America's most infamous serial killer, Ted Bundy. It's called Ted Bundy, American Boogeyman. Your son is currently on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. My father used to say Teddy was conceived in hell. What most stimulates an individual is in the hunt. Something big going on down here. A female student was attacked at Florida State University. What the hell is going on, her? Shutting down the task force. But he's still not there. You've got to let it go. Why don't you tell them that you no longer have the resources? 
to go after the man who mutilated their daughters. I'm gonna get him if it's the last thing I do. I'm gonna get him for what he did to those girls. He's taking time bomb. He was a good son. No man is truly innocent. Brandon Thomas reviewed this one for us. We're sorry, Brandon. <laughs> but I will say, if you want to find a positive about this movie, Chad Michael Murray, when he's in his full makeup, he looks eerily like Ted Bundy. That's not enough. <laughs> I'm not saying it's enough, <laughs> but uh, even just look at the trailer, like whoa. Yeah, this is from uh, this is from director Daniel Ferens, who has an entire American Boogeyman slash American Boogie Woman feature series coming out that he's just going to roll them out week after week after week. And what he essentially does, and he starts with this one, is just instead of really, I don't know, providing any kind of insight, he turns them into slasher films. Mm-hmm. And so, as opposed to No Man of God, which we watched last week, is about a Ted Bundy, and it's trying to look at this from a different perspective as opposed to sort of building up the legend around these just heinous human beings. And that is not Farron's approach at all. It really just dwells in the lurid. And, and, and you know, honestly, he started this a few years ago um, with his take on Charles Manson, which was loathsome. And, I mean, you know, I don't think that this is as bad as that, but it is still... Not worth watching. Yeah. Yeah, not great. And again, the full review from Brandon Thomas at MadWolf.com. American Boogeyman. Ted Bundy, American Boogeyman, out on Prime Video this weekend. And with that, let's hit the lobby for some knowledge. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby with the Schlocketeer, and I know you've got some big announcements this week. We've had some things pushed a little bit and then a lot. Yes, we have. Um, Sony has pushed back their release of Ghostbusters Afterlife by one week to uh, November 19th, and the reason for that is that Paramount has pulled all of their theatrical releases for the rest of this year. So they've moved Jackass Forever to February 4th next year, um, Top Gun Maverick, which was going to come out on November 19th, has now moved to May 27th. Well, I've been saying since the beginning, that seems like a summer movie yeah, to me. Absolutely. So, you know, moving it... Yeah, to, it does. Moving it to Memorial Day weekend just seems like it fits. It's a good move, and for two reasons. One, because, you know, Top Gun really does seem more like a summer movie. I know we've talked about that before, but also the, the Paramount movie that did have that May day was Mission Impossible 7, and it was originally going head-to-head with John Wick 4, uh-huh. which probably might not have been the best idea. Right. But now Mission Impossible has been moved back to September of next year. Okay. All the chess pieces. Shifting around like a Tetris game. <laughs> For stuff that is coming out this year, on September 7th, there is going to be a documentary on the entirety of uh, Daniel Craig's James Bond run called Being James Bond, and that will be hitting Apple TV as a free rental. Uh-huh. And then sometime in October, they haven't really given a date yet, but Paramount Plus will be dropping the new Paranormal Activity movie along with a making of documentary for it. And I believe that one comes from the director of Underwater. Oh, oh okay. Hopefully it'll be a step up from the last couple. Yeah. <laughs> uh, October 26th, there's a three-hour documentary on folk horror films called Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched that'll be hitting VOD on that date. Don't you mean Schlocktober 26? It may be. <laughs> <laughs> and then I've got a handful of just regular old movie announcements. I know you all 
reviewed uh, Vacation Friends yeah. last weekend. Yeah, it was decent. Uh, yeah, it was apparently the most successful debut for any Hulu original film to date. Wow. Right. So they ha- already have a sequel in the works with everyone expected to come back from the crew to the cast. Mm-hmm. And then Netflix has for better or worse, scooped up the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. I, you um, know, they, I cannot help but hold out hope. I can't help. I can't. I have I to. know. <laughs> I feel the same way. I've, I've pretty much been burned by about the last three of them. Yeah. But every time I hope, well, maybe this one will get it right. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe. Maybe it will. It does have Fede Alvarez producing right. it. Right. So, fingers crossed. Right there. Well, I saw that, and I'm like, okay. That gives me some hope right there. Mm-hmm. Netflix hasn't said whether they're putting it out this year or not. I know before they bought it, the producers of the film said it was going to come out in 2021, so it's possible they could drop it sometime in October, but they haven't really made a a public decision one way or the other on that front. And then speaking of legacy sequels, Disney has announced that the Return of the Rocketeer will be a film coming to Disney Plus sometime in the foreseeable future. Um, David Oyelowo is going to produce the film and possibly star in it, and it'll be about a retired Tuskegee Airman who picks up the mantle. So I guess I like looking that, that up. Yeah, I like, I like that concept a lot. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm guessing it'll be late 40s, early 50s is when it'll be set. Yeah, okay. And then the big one on the movie announcement front this week was Francis Ford Coppola is finally going to make his huge sci-fi drama Megalopolis to cost between 100 and $120 million and will conceivably have a cast that includes Oscar Isaac, Kate Blanchett, Forrest Whitaker, James Caan, John Voight, Zendaya, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Jessica Lange. So nobody's and, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, a, just a bunch of no names. But the, the fun part about it is that this has been his passion project for a, a couple of decades now, and I guess he's at the point where his kids are grown up he doesn't have to worry about financially supporting them anymore, and he says that whether someone else funds this movie or not, he'll pay for it out of pocket if he has to, and he does have the money to do it. So no more allowance for Sofia Coppola. <laughs> yes. Cut off. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I've got for you. All right. Well, uh, if we get more changes and some something tells me we will, I know you'll be right on top of it. You can always keep up on the latest news with at the Schlocketeer on Twitter. Thank you, Daniel Baldwin. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, looking ahead to next week, we've got one that's getting a lot of buzz. Paul Schrader directing Oscar Isaac in The Card Counter. Also one I'm looking forward to, Malignant. Yeah, that James Wan? Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to that too. Queen Pins, no, not King Pins, Queen Pins. Also The Alpining. Dating in New York. The Capote Tapes. Small Engine Repair. Dark Blood. Death Drop Gorgeous. Conservation Game. Martyr's Lane. And Witches of Blackwood. Okay, some goodies in there, I bet. Maybe some stinkers, too. You never know. (laughs) Hope not, but, you know, it happens. Got a couple this week. But until then, let us know what you thought about anything uh, this weekend that you've seen or anything recently. We love to keep the conversation going. You can find us easily on Twitter, at Mad Wolf. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other podcast, Horror Movies Only called Fright Club. That's all right there for you at madwolf.com. Until next week, have a fantastic Labor Day weekend. Stay well, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. This is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>